Hey everyone, just before you get into this podcast, I wanted to let you know that towards the end of the podcast we do discuss issues surrounding domestic violence and sexual assault. If this is difficult for you, please give this podcast a pass and you can go listen to lots of our other episodes discussing lighter topics. Hey everyone, welcome back to Rohanton Lawcast. This is episode 16 and today we're going to be taking a slightly different route of what we usually do on the podcast. You might remember from a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about specific commercial awareness points. Um, We picked up on a few business updates. We're taking a very similar approach with this podcast um, as well, but we're going to be talking about legal practice areas. Joining me today is going to be Alia. Alia, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Alia. I'm a second year law student with Mehreen. And it's nice to meet you guys. Brilliant. Thank you, Alia. Um, Me and Alia were discussing a couple of days ago that the pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on not just the legal profession, but practice areas within the profession. um, And that the law, which law students should um, undoubtedly know about because going forward, um, so we highlighted certain areas such as human rights, employment and criminal. I'm going to discuss a little bit about them today. Um, starting with human rights, um, I mean, what was it that you thought was important in human rights um, in terms of the impact of, pan- of the pandemic on this particular practice area? Well, I think it's really interesting to see how like the vaccines have played in a, a part of human rights law because um, on a global scale especially because I mean of course within the UK it's key workers that um, are being uh, that are receiving the vaccines first and then obviously the elderly population this makes sense but um, on a global scale it's quite it's the, the differences are quite stark between different countries what we would consider richer countries like countries in the EU and the UK have already have I think like 11 million doses of the vaccines. Um, whereas to say poorer countries um, are rely, having to rely on um, institutions such as COVAX, which is um, managed by um, different ins- like health institutions like the World Health Organization, Vaccines Alliance and others. Um, they're relying on COVAX to to administer the vaccine for COVID. And although they have secured like some few million doses, um, I don't think any of them have actually been delivered yet. Yeah. I I was reading an article anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's definitely a sort of stark contrast between um, the countries that are slightly uh, richer in terms of the global market and uh, the countries that aren't so um, rich. And it's just shown that the, the race to get everyone vaccinated really depends on whether you have the money to do it. Um, I know that the UK has, I think, almost six times the doses that it actually needs to uh, vaccinate the population. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also dependent on the fact that like, even if everyone gets just two doses, we still have six times more than what we actually need. 
So um, I was watching the BBC the other day and I think we had um, one of the cabinet members come on and, and talk about the fact that once everyone was vaccinated, what were we going to do with all those extra doses that we bought? Um, or what, what was going to happen to them? Um, and he spoke about perhaps giving them to poorer countries. But again, on a global scale, it just comes to play. Like, obviously, human rights is having everyone on an uh, even playing field. And even when the pandemic has affected the entire world, it just showcases how everyone's not on that even playing field. Um, and a lot of countries are going to inevitably rely on these richer countries and, and institutions like COVAX to receive a, a vaccine. And uh, it's, it's quite, I'd say, it's quite interesting for law students and anyone who's uh, pursuing, who might want to pursue a profession in human rights law. Of course, like, it's especially interesting if one wants to go into international human rights. Um, there's a phrase that I've seen in multiple articles now, um, vaccine nationalism, which um, people are sort of apprehensive of now. Of course, it's, it's, um, it's particularly interesting if one wants to go into international human rights. Um, there's a phrase that I've seen in multiple articles, vaccine nationalism, um, which people have, are becoming more apprehensive about because this like as you touched upon vaccine stockpiling in wealthier countries that this this is that's not going to solve covid um in order for us to actually move on from this pandemic for it to be safer for us to go outside and like mingle with each other in public um everybody needs to everybody needs to have equal access to that vaccine on a global scale because otherwise people can't freely move from country to country for work, for um, pleasure, whatever it be. Um, and low to middle income countries um, face a huge, um, face a huge- Not very fair at all. Disadvantage because of it. That moves us quite yeah. nicely onto the second thing, which I thought was interesting. Um, just on a general level of human rights and uh, coronavirus, um, there's a report by the Equality and Human Rights Commission in October 2020, and it was about how the pandemic had affected equality and human rights. Um, it broke it down into work, poverty, education, social care, justice and personal security. Uh, but the, the part of that really interested me was the gender pay gap and how they spoke about the gender pay gap in furloughed employees specifically. Um, that was very interesting. There was another report on that specifically, uh, which moves us quite, quite nicely onto employment law. Um, I know me and you were discussing this about how, about how, furlough, how the furlough scheme would have an impact in the employment law sector. It's already had such a big impact since, when, since it was introduced. Follow forward, it's gone so far now with the extension, how far do you think it's going to go? I feel, I feel people would find it more irritating, if anything, because um, as there are more people applying to um, different HMRC administered schemes, including the, the job retention scheme, um, there's the self-employment income support scheme, 
um, there's been an, an increase in fraudulent emails, texts, calls. So, which inevitably would lead to claims, I, I suppose. Um, I, I know, and the, um, so there's, the, there's a page on gov.uk where you can like report fraud either through a form or a phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, I think a government is taking active steps to try and prevent furlough fraud, but I don't think that will inevitably lead up to um, it stopping altogether. Um, so there's definitely that aspect of employment law to be dealing with uh, the implications of furlough. And it's a great scheme, don't get me wrong. I think it is pretty good and I think it does support um, people that do need it. But again, obviously it can be, as we have seen, um, be manipulated. Further to that, again, I was reading an article about um, gen the gender pay gap in the furlough scheme, which again was really interesting to me because I didn't imagine that was uh, that would be something that would be affected, but it clearly has been. It's outlined um, places where there still exists a gender pay gap, um, which leads me on to um, discrimination about about vaccines. I think. Uh, it's important to talk about the discrimination against people who may not want to take the vaccine. Now, this was something on my mind when the vaccine rollout was announced that there might be people who would don't want to take the vaccine, may not be able to take the vaccine um, for their own personal reasons. And uh, how would the workplace react to that? What do you think about it, Alia? Um, yeah, I thought I was. I've been thinking about this for um, a couple of weeks now as well because um, I thought it was interesting to see whether or not employers would make it mandatory for the vaccine to be taken before employees can come back into the workplace. Um, I mean, the current government policy is not to make it mandatory, um, but instead you have to share the information and like reassure and persuade people to voluntarily take it rather than being forced to take it should they want to continue you know um, their job and go back to the workplace but um like realistically in practice not everybody will take it because not everybody is either comfortable or they can take it um i don't think pregnant women are allowed to take it i think it's, a, it's definitely a major concern um, for upcoming uh, lawyers, for, uh, for any lawyers in, in employment law and, and students who are interested in, in pursuing employment law, um, I think it will, there will be certainly um, a number of people who probably will file complaints or, uh, or claims against their employers for discriminating because I think I can imagine some workplaces will be quite strict on the fact that they would like their employees to have a vaccine before returning to work in person I can see that happening so I, I guess we'll just have to see how it unfolds. Um, something else I thought was really um, concerning was um, I read a BBC article um, a few weeks ago um, it was written in January and it was about how Across the UK, um, thousands of self-employed women who have been on maternity leave have, feel like they've been discriminated against when they were receiving government COVID financial support through the self-employed income support scheme. Um, 
which was introduced alongside the furlough scheme for salaried employees. Um, and I thought that was, I thought it was quite concerning because um, there was this one individual that was um, interviewed and she, I think she said that she received less than a third of the grant she would have been eligible for had she not taken the maternity leave. And that's quite, that's really scary for somebody to be in that position because they're losing out financially and it's it's not just one person it was I think around 75,000 women who took maternity leave during that period that lose out on such a big proportion of the money that they should have received yeah but now because they took maternity leave which which is not which isn't a holiday by any means um it's 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 quite concerning and it's um yeah it it just made me quite feel quite angry for her in a way um I think that is a very important um point to make and and on that point uh it leads me on to several things um about criminal law um but namely the, the, the increase of domestic abuse since the pandemic, um, the 97% figure, and uh, the recent case of Sarah Everard. And on the f- first point um, of the increase of domestic abuse, I think it is upsetting um, and absolutely disgraceful that the pandemic has to highlight the level of domestic abuse that's prevalent in the community. I think the fact that it's increased by such a large number is absolutely terrifying because even women or anyone, men who go through um, domestic abuse as well, um, who who are at home should be safe at home in a global pandemic. And then the figures just took such a sharp rise and it, it was absolutely terrifying um, reading those those facts that were coming out week after week, week after week, and figures just increasing and increasing and increasing. Um, and it just showcased how much of a problem we actually really have. Yeah, I, I, I know. It, it's really quite scary to think about because not only are they not, uh, not only are these victims not receiving, they're not receiving the right um support as well because it takes a lot of it takes a lot of strength to come forward in the first place I'm sure if we're in a lockdown there's they're they're probably thinking where where do I turn to and a lot of the helplines um have experienced an increase in calls either from third parties who are concerned about people but it's it's really scary to think about yeah, hundred. I think another thing um, that I, I wanted to touch upon was that uh, clearly the pandemic has seen an in, in, increase in uh, domestic abuse claims um, and uh, calls about domestic abuse. I, I mean, I just worry how many of these are actually going to lead to prosecutions, like how many of these cases are actually going to lead to, to something that uh, will improve those lives of those women affected. Um, because as we know, I think there is a 
I think from studying criminal law, what I did pick up on is that uh, a lot of domestic violence abuse claims don't fully get taken to the last point. So many factors contribute to that, but I seriously think that this is this is a pandemic within a pandemic pandemic that mm. needs to be addressed properly, and that is one of the key things for anyone going into a criminal law or, or the criminal bar. I think that that's something they need to keep in mind if if it's some if criminal law is something they want to pursue. I read an article in the Guardian the other day. Um, and although it wasn't specifically to do with domestic abuse, it was about sexual harassment. And the statistics are actually sickening to read because I think it said among women aged 18 to 24, 97% said they had been sexually harassed, um, while 80% of women of all ages said they had experienced a form of sexual harassment in public spaces. That's disgusting. And- It also is terrifying to think that specifically public spaces, like, are you just honestly? It's scary, it's, it's disgusting. It's the fact that it's, Almost everybody knows another female who has had a story happen to them. And it's it's becoming more and more apparent during this lockdown, I think, because... I think with the rise of social media platforms and um, the rise of, I guess, awareness or people speaking about, uh, about it more in um, on, on online platforms virtually, um, and there are different movements. The whole Me Too movement yes, absolutely. just kick-started most of this, to be honest. Yes, 100%. And I think all of that is now bringing to light what it is to be a woman in basically anywhere. Because, in today's society. Well, yeah. actually, in any society. It hasn't, society. Just, hasn't, been, hasn't started now. It's been going I know. on for... And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, you think... Um, and a lot of the times, I do believe, like, it affects figures like this and cases like Sarah's affect um, a lot of our community disproportionately. And I say that with vain uh, individuals in mind particularly. I think those communities are affected even more by these statistics and figures because it's it's not just women then it just affects all types of women from all over the place and and if <laughs> there's a figure saying 90% of them suffer or have gone through some form of sexual assault in public spaces at the age of between the ages of 18 and 24 it really makes you question where am I safe where am I safe like I if I'm not even safe in a public space and that doesn't even pinpoint a time like most of those women could be out in the daylight or they could be you know out on work. a busy street yeah no where 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 are you safe that really comes down to the question of where and also being if in a you're pandemic, not safe at home you might not be safe at being, home there's domestic abuse victims exactly exactly I think it's, uh, it's this is a really big issue and it, it just needs a proper and we could go on about this in a completely different podcast um, I mean it's yeah. completely it definitely warrants its own half an hour of discussing but um, 
just to make a case for it, uh, the pandemic and legal practice areas, this is something that must, must, must be addressed. And I think there's no other case um, recently as uh, such as Sarah's that has showcased the absolute pressing need for it to be addressed. Of Sarah Everard, what happened to Sarah Everard was awful. Um, and she went missing on the 3rd of March and her body was found only a few days ago and they could only identify her through her dental records after she was found in this, in, in a, I think she was found in a bag that's used by builders to transport heavy loads. She clearly wasn't supposed to be found. That's, that's harrowing to hear. Yeah. And her, what her family has to go through. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good place to wrap. Um, I hope you got something beneficial out of this podcast, even if, if you were maybe confused about what practice areas uh, you might be interested in pursuing. Maybe a couple of things that we've highlighted in this podcast, you might be interested in, say, employment, human rights, and even criminal, um, specifically on topics we may have spoken about, or just generally the practice area. Um, but I can't say more than just go research um, about practice areas, especially in if you want to become a legal professional, it's vital that you know which area you, you're interested in. Um, and that really starts now um, and from your first year, really. So definitely go and research those. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Alia, for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. These are just some things that interested me and Alia in particular. If there's anything that interests you and you might want to have a chat about it on the podcast, feel free to drop me an email. I will include my email address in the bio or drop the Law Society an email or a DM on our Instagram page. But um, that's it from us today and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.